The Dance of Gods, Book One, Spell of Catastrophe, written and read by Mayor Alan Brenner. Chapter 12, Shaw and Mont Go to Jail. Shaw and Mont dropped silently off the tail of the guard troop and let the soldiers to whom they had attached themselves clutter off into the gloom. I don't like this, Mont said. It's called protective coloration, Shaw said. Most intelligent creatures use it. They had progressed toward the center of the island, deep into the catacombs. Shaw glanced around, his eyebrows slightly knitted. There must be a dungeon around here somewhere. This place feels too much like dungeon to be anything else. Mont, from the layout of the halls they had passed through, had a fairly good idea where the dungeon was, but he decided there was something he'd better get cleared up first. When we find the dungeon, yes, when we find the dungeon, there's sure to be some kind of guard room, unquestionably, unquestionably, and that'll probably be full of guards, no doubt, right, no doubt, what are we going to do about them? What do you think we should do about them? Oh, knock it off already, Mont said, you're the expert, tell me an expert plan. Shaw considered, reminding him that his basic plan was founded on improvisation, but chose against it. We will reconnoiter first, then we will attempt to gain unalerted entry using our, he rattled his cuirass, disguises. When we are in position, we will attempt an ambush. Do you have any idea how many places that plan could go wrong? Yes, Shaw said, I do. Now, where is that dungeon? I, uh, hmm, what are you listening for? Mont was rotating his head slowly. He raised his hand. After a moment, he opened his eyes and pointed down the hall in the direction taken by the troops. The music sounds best in that direction, sort of low and creepy. Dungeon sounds. Very well. They moved quietly off in Mont's direction. I've been thinking, Mont whispered. Yes? When we get to the dungeon, why couldn't you say you're an interrogator come to torture the prisoners? Like, uh, with that cloak and all the stuff you're carrying around, you'd be a natural. Shaw stopped short, then resumed his pace. That, my friend, is a first-rate idea. It is exactly what we will try. Uh, uh, Mont said. The concept that Shaw might have actually said something nice to him had taken him by surprise. The corridor forked. Mont sniffed the air and led them down the left-hand passage. That passage soon forked as well, and they descended a tight coil of steps. Lights were visible at the base, and the sound of voices. Oh, Mont said, hesitating. Shaw drew him back. Are you afraid? he whispered. Ah, uh, eh. Uh, it is a simple and human thing to feel fear, Shaw said. Strength of character comes when you feel fear and nevertheless go on. Are you afraid? Of course, I always am in a situation like this. But you don't seem... That is a different matter, called style. Each person must evolve that for himself, or herself. Now, listen closely. Shaw whispered a few additional instructions to Mont. Mont nodded, and again they descended the stairs. At the bottom of the staircase was a pointed archway, and beyond it, an open rectangular room. Across from their entrance was a heavy wood-beam door embedded in an iron frame and manacled securely to the wall. Two other doors on the facing walls stood open, but these were regular doors, leading merely to further corridors. 
Aside from the usual array of guttering torches, a plank table and two matching benches, a fire pit, several swords and cudgels hanging from hooks on the wall, and an antique torture cage resting pleasantly to one side, the only furnishings were four guards. They put their hands on their swords and turned toward the entrance. Bont put up his chin and strode into the room. This is the interrogator, he announced, indicating Shaw with an outstretched arm. Shaw, standing in a dramatic position framed in the center of the archway, his legs planted and one hand on his hip, removed the iron bar from under his cloak. He lowered his eyebrows suggestively, twirling the bar like a marching band baton. It's about time, one of the guards said. You want us to bring him out, or you want to go in? The interrogator will go in, Mont said. The guard corporal looked around, said, Crumb, come with me, to one of the other troopers, and moved to the bolt's door, producing a brass ring with large keys from his belt. Better let the two of us go in first, he said over his shoulder to Mont as he unlocked the door. Charlotte guilelessly at the ceiling. The door creaked open, the weight of the two guards behind it, and Shaw and Mont followed the two into a dim corridor lit by widely spaced torches. The walls of the hall were thick, brooding stone hewn from the rock of the island, broken occasionally by gates of iron grill and tasteful patches of moss. You want the roundup from the first day, I'll imagine, the corporal said, stopping at the first cell. Shaw leaned against the wooden door to the cell block, swinging it partially closed, then nodded to Mont. Mont, standing just behind the corporal, shielded himself with view with his body and brought the knobbed hilt of his knife down hard against the man's head. Shaw took two quick steps and swung his bar. Both guards sunk to the floor together. Shaw nodded appreciatively. In a passable imitation of the corporal's voice, he called back, Can you guys give us a hand in here? The heavy door creaked open. Shaw, now standing behind it, swung his bar again, hearing the swish of Mont's thrown knife. Mont's second throw was better than his first on the wharves earlier in the evening. The guards grunted and collapsed. Shaw left the guards where they'd fallen and trotted toward Mont, who had already fumbled the correct key into the lock. The door rasped and opened. Mont stepped into the cell and looked anxiously around. Shaw drew his sword and moved to the entrance behind Mont. The cell extended some distance back into the rock. The only light was a meager trace of orange that leaked in from the torches in the passage, leaving the depths of the cell still totally black. Shadows moved in the dark. The half-dozen forms closest to the door were illuminated enough to see that they were dressed in civilian clothes, now besmirched. One of the prisoners gaped sullenly at Mont, while the others ostentatiously ignored him behind turned backs. Mont examined them, stopped, took a nervous half-step forward, and said, Father? The man at the center of the small group wheeled and stared. The light caught lean hollows in his face and made slashes across sharp eyes, his silvering hair glowing orange in the torch fire. Charton, what do you think you're doing here? Uh, rescuing you? All of you. Churchin's father stalked forward, drew back his arm, and swept his hand into Mont's face. Mont reeled backward into the door. You puking worm! You couldn't rescue a flea! You sold out to them, haven't you? And you come in here and try to... Father, just give me a second to... Rescued? By you? The man loomed menacingly over Jerton, raising his hand again. Jerton was still clutching the barred door, trying to regain his feet. 
Of all the ridiculous... Sir, said Shah, we would be pleased to let you remain here when we leave with the others. And who do you think you are? Opinion has little to do with it. I am Zalzine Shah. Shah extended the arm with the bar to one side, crossed the other forearm over his waist, and executed a neat bow. Whether I am at your service remains obviously to be seen. What are you doing here? As my esteemed companion aptly explained, we are rescuing you. Or not, as you prefer. The former lion of the Ulvan plain stared at Shah, speechless. We are unwelcome here, Shah said sadly. Jurten, if you please, the key. We will leave these gentles to their own contemplations. You wouldn't dare! Mont's father roared. Yes, Shah said, I would. You rodent, you flee, you unspeakable heap of... Dad, said a female voice. Shut up. Another shape appeared out of the gloom. Oof! This was another voice, a reedy, high-pitched one belonging to an elder of some sort. Ouch! Oh, said the woman, I beg your pardon, your grace. She pushed forward, the same sharp eyes and confident manner as her father, snapping toward Shah across the cell. Jurton, good. What's your plan? Into the hall, quickly, Shah said. Everybody. He was already moving, Mont after him, the girl next. Shah strode over one of the prostrate guardsmen, put his foot under the hilt of the man's sword, and kicked up, causing the sword to spring into the air, and ran ahead, not breaking his motion. The sword wheeled twice in the air, and the hilt thudded solidly into Mont's hand. Mont closed his hand out of reflex, gaping at the sword. His sister ran around him through the thicker door into the outer room. Shah charged across the guardroom, started up the stairs, and paused. The sound of marching feet was audible from above. It was also growing louder. Uh, Shah? Jertsen said from behind him. What? Did I mention that sometimes the music warns me when something's about to happen? Oh, great, Shah said sarcastically. Over here, everybody! Mont's sister yelled from across the room. Shah turned to see her waving people through one of the other doorways. Mont's father, a disgusted expression on his face and a sword in his hand, plunged past her, snarling, Let me to the front! and was gone. The marching feet tramp reached the staircase and began to descend in their direction. Shah would have loved to lock them out. Unfortunately, the staircase was the one entrance to the room that didn't have a door. Mont lent a shoulder, and they shoved the guardroom table across the floor. Upended, it might block the archway. A soldier clattered around the bend from above and saw them. Shah leapt to the top of the table and displayed his sword. The guardsman jumped forward two steps, drawing his own sword, and engaged. Shah swept his other arm around from behind and hit him with the iron bar. The clang of the bar faded, and new footsteps clattered on the stairs as the soldier rolled limply beneath the table. Mont, holding his sword, began to climb up next to Shah. No, Shah said. I will hold them here. You must safeguard the prisoners. But you will fight later. Action, wherever taken, is nonetheless character, Shah said. Go. Mont chewed his lip, leaned in the direction of the exit, bobbed uncertainly on one foot, looked at Shah, and then took off down the tunnel. Another voice spoke from Shah's shoulder. You can't hold this room alone, Mont's sister said. There's too many doorways. Shah glanced across and down at her where she stood next to the table. I appreciate your encouragement, he said dryly. 
Look out, she said. Shah leaned and thrust at the second soldier without bothering to shift his eyes, a sardonic twist on his mouth, and felt his sword fenestrate a chest. He bowed slightly in the direction of Mont's sister. Your name, he said. Uh, Tildemir, she said. She was quickly discovering the same thing her brother had found out earlier, that Shah's attitude had a remarkable capacity for disconcerting its target. There's another one coming. If you're going to stay, you might as well lock the other doors. Shah had turned more serious attention back to the staircase. The squads he had seen so far generally ran to ten men apiece. Two were already under the table, no three, he thought, as the iron bar unchivalrously claimed another victim. The fourth and fifth rushed together, side by side, the one on Shah's left fractionally closer. Shah had his sword in his right hand and was presenting his right side to them, almost within reach. He stepped back, moving to their left. The trooper on the far side lunged just a little further. Shah's blade nicked out at the soldier lagging behind, and the man lost his balance on the slick step, fell across the length of his partner's sword, and carried them both forehead first into the heavy slab edge of the table. Two sets of legs now stretched upward along the lower stairs. Shah quickly knelt, rummaged under the table with one hand, temporarily sticking the iron bar in his belt, and came up with another sword. Six, seven, and eight rattled around the corner. Shah hefted the new sword, drew it back, and launched it hilt first over the heads of the first two guardsmen. It hit the third man in the shoulder. The impact of the heavy hilt spun him slightly, making him flail about for balance with both arms, and suddenly another multi-person tangle was crashing down the stairs. Shah performed detailed work with his iron bar. The table creaked behind him. I can only lock one, and it isn't going to hold for long, Tildemir told Shah. Quiet, Shah said. The footsteps of new fodder on the steps had stopped. Shah jumped down from the table, landing silently, and backed across the floor, holding his sword warily in front of him. A reddish glow appeared at the top of the circular staircase. What is it? the woman whispered. The glow intensified as something drew around the stairs and came closer to them. I suggest flight. Shah told her. But what about you? I will delay it, Shah said. I hope. The glare from the staircase was painfully bright, and was now casting a sharp-edged fan of pink across the floor and table and ceiling. The fan swept along the room, spreading out. Shah twisted a small stud on the hilt of his rapier, breaking the integrity of its inhibition spell, and bands of flaming blue wearing hard, jagged spikes danced down the blade. He looked at Tildemir. Thank you for your solicitude. I am, however, not suicidal. Now go. She took a last glance, her mouth hanging slightly open, and ran out the remaining open door after the other prisoners. Shaw backed to the doorway and kicked the door shut after her as the thing from the staircase floated into the room. It figured there had to be a sorcerer hanging around somewhere, Shaw thought, his habitual air of smugness somewhat dented by the circumstances. The light burst full into the room, skimming down the last stairs and over the table. Shah squinted against the glare. The construct was tall, Shah's height, a spinning pillar of intermeshing helices, interference patterns traveling slowly across its face. Waving tentacle-like protrusions flowed from irregular nodes on the surface. The thing leaned into a turn and scudded toward Shah, its screeching whine mounting. Shah struck an on guard and cut at the nearest tentacle felt a brief catch as his churning blue blade bit the air, and saw a severed tentacle end twirl to the floor in a wisp of shooting sparks. 
He let the momentum of the sword swing it through another tentacle and went for the body. The bands of fiery blue ground into the construct like a sharp saw. Then the sword caught again and turned in Shaw's grip. He fought for control, seeing his shadow ahead of him on the floor. In the instant he noticed the shadow and realized one of the glowing tentacles had snuck around behind him, a pain as of flames flayed his back and lanced through to his chest. He hacked frantically at the tentacle behind him, nicked it, and fell to his knees as yet another flailing arm swept over his head. The whirling body drew nearer. His earlier thrust had bashed in one side, and the thing was wobbling erratically, but it was not yet near its end. The functional tentacles reached for him. Sweat ran down Shah's face into his gritted teeth. His spine contorted. He thrust himself back, swinging his rapier in front of him for a stop thrust. A shower of sparks cascaded over his face, and Shah felt a lightning shock run down his sword arm and into his shoulder. Next, Chapter 13, Max Drops In.